Today we are facing some of the greatest challenges of our lives, from our health to political unrest, the environment, financial uncertainty, and the nation's racial divide. Welcome to Bill Myers Inspires. My idea for this show was to invite guests and get the conversation started, to take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. And we encourage our listeners to look within themselves to take decisive action to make a positive difference. Welcome to Bill Myers Inspires. I'm your host, Bill Myers, and I am very excited about today's show. I have a wonderful dynamic duo with me here today, and I love these two individuals deeply. I would like to begin today's show with a quote. Um, uh, I was speaking to my pastor a couple of days ago, catching up. Uh, we haven't seen each other because of the coronavirus and that sort of thing. So we were catching up, and I was talking about the show, and we wound up on the subject of talking about Nelson Mandela. And it struck me as we talked about the long walk to freedom. And I, I that has been on my heart for the last couple of days, and I thought I would open today's show with one of the quotes from Long Walk to Freedom. I always knew that deep down in every heart, every human heart, there is mercy and generosity. No one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. Even in the grimmest times in prison, when my comrades and I were pushed to our limits, I would see a glimmer of humanity in one of the guards, perhaps for just a second, but it was enough to reassure me and keep me going. Man's goodness is a flame that can be hidden but never extinguished. The words of Nelson Mandela from his book, Long Walk to Freedom. Today, we are going to discuss another work, uh, the winner of the Phyllis Wheatley Book Award for Nonfiction, Biography, and Memoir. The book is entitled Gather at the Table, which is the title of our program today. Gather at the Table is the story of two everyday people from diverse backgrounds who are on a mission to overcome the trauma of America's legacy of slavery and the lingering effects of present-day racism. Over a three-year period, the interracial pair traveled, traveled thousands of miles throughout 27 states and overseas, building an improbable relationship. Using genealogy and as an undercurrent, they visited each other's families, ancestral towns, courthouses, sites of racial terror, cemeteries, plantations, and antebellum mansions, seeking to come to terms with the history out of which racism evolved. The book illuminates healing models developed at the Center for Justice and Peacebuilding, at Eastern Mennonite University through their strategies for trauma awareness and resilience and coming to the table programs. 
Eastern Mennonite University is an acclaimed resource for peace building, having introduced trauma healing models in war-ravaged countries around the world. Coming to the Table is an initiative focused on bringing together descendants of enslaved people with descendants of slaveholders, providing leadership, resources, and a supportive network for those who wish to acknowledge and heal the enduring wounds. The healing model presented in Gather at the Table involves four interrelated practices, sharing histories of race with openness and honesty, connecting with others across racial lines, exploring healing through dialogue, ritual, apology, etc., and actively seeking to heal the pervasive, present-day, structural wounds of racial inequality and injustice. Tom and Sharon hope to inspire a national dialogue about the legacies of slavery and racism and offer practical guidance for individuals and groups dedicated to healing. Our two authors today are as follows. Sharon Leslie Morgan is the founder of OurBlackAncestry.com, a website devoted to helping people appreciate and explore African-American family history and culture. For more than 25 years, Sharon has been researching her family history in Lowndes County, Alabama, and Knoxville County, Mississippi. She is a member of several genealogical associations, including the National Genealogical Society, the African American Historical and Genealogical Society, and local societies in the geographic areas of her research. Professionally, Sharon is a marketing communications consultant, a pioneer in multicultural marketing. She is a founder of the National Black Public Relations Society, worked for a multitude of Fortune 100 companies, including Coca-Cola, McDonald's, and Walmart, and spent many years living abroad in the Caribbean, Europe, and Africa. Sharon's first book, My Daddy is a Cool Dude, was published in 1975 by the Dial Press and nominated for a prestigious Caldecott Medal for Children's Literature. She is also the co-author of Real Women Cook, Building Healthy Communities with Recipes that Stir the Soul. Also with us today is her co-author, Thomas Norman DeWolf. Tom serves as Executive Director for Coming to the Table, a nonprofit organization that provides leadership, resources, and a supportive environment for all who wish to acknowledge and heal wounds from racism that are rooted in the United States history of slavery. He is a trained STAR practitioner. STAR is a research-supported trauma awareness and resilience training program that brings together theory and practices from neurobiology, conflict transformation, human security, spirituality, and restorative justice to address the needs of individuals, organizations, and communities dealing with the impacts of present-day and historic trauma. Tom is the author of Inheriting the Trade. A Northern family confronts its legacy as the largest slave-trading dynasty in U.S. history. He wrote about traveling with nine distant relatives on a life-altering journey through Rhode Island, Ghana, and Cuba to film the Emmy-nominated documentary Traces of the Trade, a story from the deep north in which he is featured. 
and official selection of the Sundance Film Festival, the film premiered on national television on the acclaimed PBS series, POV. Tom was born and raised in California. He's a graduate of Northwestern or Northwest Christian College and the University of Oregon. Tom served on the Oregon Arts Commission for nine years and as a local elected official for 11. His years of public service focused on the arts, literacy, children's issues, and restorative justice. The African American Jazz Caucus awarded Tom the 2012 Spirit of Freedom Award for Social Justice. Ladies and gentlemen, please let me welcome and assist me in welcoming Sharon Leslie Morgan and Thomas Norman DeWolf. Welcome to the program today. Thank you. We're glad to be here. Yes, we are. You know, I, it it is so interesting. Uh, again, I was I was struck by the fact that my pastor sort of directed me to uh, think about uh, Nelson Mandela's words, and that again, it it's just kind of humbled me out and and chilled me out for this discussion today because I realized that the topic that we're discussing that sometimes we we can sort of objectively look at it and it sometimes lose it loses the gravity the true gravity uh that it merits and so first of all I would like to tell you both that I think that the work you're doing is incredible and serves as a wonderful example for us all and that we may follow in your footsteps and find understanding as we move forward uh particularly in times such as these. So, Tom, I want to start off by just asking you, how did you and Sharon come to meet one another? Um, it was in uh, the spring, early summer of 2008. There was a, a class offered at the Summer Peace Building Institute um, through the Center for Justice and Peace Building at Eastern Mennonite University. And it was a week-long class on the coming-to-the-table approach. Um, okay. And this was like two and a half years after the initial uh, weekend gathering of about two dozen people where coming to the table got launched. And this mm -hmm. was the second event, and, and uh, Sharon and I both signed up for that class, and um, so we were together. We met there and spent a week learning about um, coming to the table and each other and what have you. And, um, we met there, but we sat on opposite sides of the room. We didn't really connect. <laughs> it was uh, It was several months later when I was speaking, actually, in Sharon's hometown of Chicago and she found out about that and came to um, she couldn't come to the event because she had something else planned but she came before it started just to welcome me to Chicago and give me a hug that's the moment when our relationship really took off um, wow and grew from there yeah so so Sharon t talk to me now because because what uh, it sounds like there there might have been a was it intentional that you guys uh, sat on opposite in, opposite ends of that room initially? 
uh, how did did you feel connected or were you kind of uh, uh, looking at each other with a with a, uh, a perspective? Uh, <laughs> I was, it was not on purpose that we sat on opposite sides of the room. Okay, but I was very anxious about the whole proceeding. I had to be encouraged to attend uh, because I came across a reference to coming to the table online as a result of the genealogical work that I do. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like an interesting concept to link people who were the descendants of slaveholders with people who were descendants of the people they enslaved. Mm-hmm. And that was a very provocative idea. But when they invited me to come to Eastern Mennonite University in Harrisonburg, Virginia, in a group of, I thought, would be all white people, Mm -hmm. my paranoia kicked in, and I really wasn't sure that I wanted to be there at all. And meeting Tom, who is Mr. Picture Perfect White Man, (laughs) <laughs> sort of added to the anxiety. <laughs> so it's kind of the like, mar- who is the this guy man, on the other side of the table staring at me? <laughs> and so I wasn't warm to it at all. Of course, it all ended up well because I learned some incredibly useful information. I really was intrigued by the prospect of how that, how that, paradigm could work of linking mm-hmm. descendants and I really wanted to explore more so it did end up very well but at the beginning and I must say this is my own thing my own angst uh, I would never have expected what ended up happening to have happened hmm so, so was it the vulnerability of, of sort of stepping in, having a certain expectation? And here we are in a room full of, you know, well, well, you you did you you initially thought it was you know walking into a room full of white folk or something, and so you were probably surprised by that it, it, that there were other participants uh, of color. Yeah, and I mean there were Mennonites. They were in Harrisonburg, Virginia, which is a farm town. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Eastern Mennonite University, which is, I don't know anything about Mennonites. And I mm-hmm. think for African Americans, you have an automatic resistance to doing things that are outside of your comfort zone because you never mm. know what's going to happen to you. Mm. So yeah. I really wasn't sure. And okay. many of the things that I had in my head ended up not being true. I mean, Mennonites are great people. EMU is an incredible place. Coming to the table is an amazing program, and, you know, I was heartily welcomed, and the models that we talked about for healing were just incredibly compelling. Mm. So the content overwhelmed, it allayed my fears, which is why I ended up going to hug Tom when he came to Chicago, because when I got back home and I thought about it, I said, wow, this is really a provocative idea. I really appreciated the information that I got, and I really felt like this could actually work because that is the thing that I always missed in my genealogical, my own family research, 
was that I never had an opportunity to confront the perpetrators or anybody uh. even remotely related to them. And mm. this was a way to do that. Here are white people who really want to do something different and are willing to confront the past in an honest way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's, yeah, that, that's a, a, a rare, a, a rare situation indeed. Um, so, so how, how do we move forward? How did, so, so you, you, you went and met Tom uh, before his speech and, and you exchanged a hug, a hug with him. How do we move from that place to let's journey together and co-write a book? Was that an initial thought or did that come as a result of some correspondence or some uh, between the two of you? Uh, how did that No, that was Tom's about? idea. <laughs> okay. It was Tom's idea. He approached me. Okay. So, yeah, so Tom, you know, when I, well, it started because I, I, I write, um, and feel like I'm, I have the, I don't know, I guess the, the best opportunity to, um, have an impact through words on paper. Um, and so having, you know, wanted to be a writer since I was young and having published Inheriting the Trade, getting involved with coming to the table, it's all like, boy, this is something that really needs to be written about. But mm -hmm. um, writing about it as the picture-perfect white man, which is going to be my new Facebook monitor <laughs> now. So thank you, Sharon, for that. <laughs> um the whole concept of coming to the table is that connection between descendants of uh, people who were enslavers and descendants of people who were enslaved. So it just made sense to me um, mm -hmm. to connect with someone and uh, write together, um, experience together um, the whole coming to the table approach and with Sharon, the, it was just a real obvious connection. I mean, we'd known each other for a little while by the time I approached her. We'd been to several um, coming-to-the-table events by that time, and we were at a coming-to-the-table event, actually, at Jackson State University in, uh, in Jackson, Mississippi. And, um, and, you know, I know Sharon's a writer, I know she's, you know, it's deadline. This is all the stuff I knew in advance. It's like, this is real obvious, so if she's interested, this could be good. And so I, uh, you know, spoke to her over dinner. Um, and and uh, where we ended up is she said, okay, you know, let's think about this. Let's talk about this. And what she came back with is if we're going to do this, we've really got to do this. We need to visit each other's homes, um, meet each other's families, really understand each other's background and not do this on a surface level, but really dive deep into each other's lives so that as we're experiencing places um, where, you know, she can turn to me and say, what does this feel like as a white man being here in Money, Mississippi, 
um, you know, where Emma Till was so brutally tortured and murdered, and I can turn to her as a black woman, how does it feel being here in, in Money, Mississippi, and, and, and really try to, I, I, I guess when I think about it, you know, so many people avoid dealing with issues of race because racism is so big, it's so deeply embedded in our structures, in our systems, in our society. But if two people can come together and um, live this come-to-the-table approach together and really try to um, dive deep together, that's something you can get your arms around. And so that's mm-hmm. where it, that's where it grew out of. Yeah. Wow. Well, lovely, lovely. You know, I, I'm I'm so so grateful that the two of you are with us because I, I I'm with you. I believe it starts with two people. I, I believe, it, you know, it starts there, and uh, and being able to have an open, honest uh, conversation and engage one another as you guys have done. Uh, at this point, I would like to, for us to take a break right now so that we can continue this conversation. You are here with. We are here today with Gather at the Table, co-authors Sharon Leslie Morgan and Thomas Norman DeWolf. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires right here on the Inspired Choices Network. We'll be right back. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email becomeahost at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Listening to Bill Myers Inspires here on the Inspired Choices Network. We're here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for joining us. And now, let's get back to the conversation. We're back. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are here with Sharon Leslie Morgan and Thomas Norman DeWolf, and we are discussing the book that they they created together called Gather at the Table. And so we were just talking about coming up with the idea of, of working together to write this book. So now I want to sort of move this move this along. So so how did you sort of coordinate the idea of you spent three years together? So, I mean, how did you coordinate the idea and, and who visited whose family first and that sort of thing? I mean, how did that evolve? Before we go into that, I want to say something about the concept of historical harm. Okay. What went into the planning of our journey was that we had learned through coming to the table and STAR, the programs at the Summer Peace Building Institute, about historical harm. It is a trauma mm-hmm. 
that has been inflicted on numerous people. The person who is the perpetrator, the people who are the bystanders, slavery is like a huge historical harm that affected everybody. So how do you get Mm -hmm. your arms around that? So in doing genealogical research, that's all that I do because everything that I uncover about my family history is full of harm. That says a lot about why I was had so much anxiety about even being in in the in that first meeting. So mm-hmm. in making our plan, we decided that not only did we need to get to know each other intimately, not in the biblical sense, uh, but to get to know each other and our our families and our environments to see where we had grown up, what influences those had on our thinking and also to visit the places where the historical harm had been inflicted. So we made a map of places to visit that related to my genealogy, which was Alabama and Mississippi, and Tom's genealogy is the wolf ancestors came from Rhode Island. And we put mm-hmm. all those on the map and made, you know, like stops at place at museums, historical sites, and personal places. So the mm-hmm. farm where, you know, Tom's ancestor came from. And that's how we plotted out the route. And the idea okay. was to be in the same place at the same time. And like Tom said earlier, to talk about how do you feel about this and to see whether or not we felt the same way or differently. We did not know when we set out that the experiment was going to work. We're just trying to execute the model that we had learned to see if it would really work. And it ended up working out very well. But there's some very touchy moments along the way because (laughs) there, there were huge things. I mean, the reference to going to Bryant Grocery Store, that causes a huge amount of emotion. And it did for both of us because it was such a horrific act. There were other places that pissed me off dramatically, and there were places that Tom didn't want to see, like he didn't want to stay in a plantation house in Natchez at one point. And I was determined that I was going to stay there because I want to sleep sleep in this house where Miss Ann looks out over the cotton fields, and how could she possibly do that? knowing how she was making how she was producing the wealth to take care of her children while my children, my ancestors were out there picking cotton. So there was a mm-hmm. lot of seesawing on the emotional part. Yes. And then all together, after all of those miles, it ended up being really productive in terms of the lessons learned. There were moments when I wanted to put car I'm, we're driving my car. I wanted to stop on the side of the road and put Tom out. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't. But there was a moment when, you know, it's like I was really in a serious emotional mood. And Tom just got really quiet and just let me have my the right to my feelings. And then we were able to resume. So we learned a lot about interpersonal relationship and how you handle that and how you deal with these very big issues, and how you deal with them, how you make this bridge between black and white. Yeah. 
and and that's so very important uh to be able to to allow the space the, the space needed to feel whatever you need to feel uh without having to get permission to do that i think that that is huge um so tom yeah cuz you're entitled just, i'm entitled to my anger i'm entitled to my emotion i you know it's it is normal yes yes so tom sharon would ju- was just mentioning the the trip to the um to the uh the the the, the site of the Emmett Till incident and she had mentioned that you were affected uh, pretty strongly uh, could could you share that your feelings on that and your experience being in that space you know i think anytime we visit historical sites we have the option of being there as a tourist um, mm-hmm. or the option of really um, connecting with the events that took place in a particular spot and um, being there at the abandoned crumbling ruins of Bryant's grocery store in Money, Mississippi. I mean, it's it's a little tiny uh, place and just imagining um, the horror of this little boy being dragged mm. out of his family's home and tortured and murdered and tied to a big old heavy fan and dumped into the river. Um, it's like <sighs> over and over and over on our journey I, I, one of the big questions is how in the hell can people treat each other this way? How can, you know, people that I'm related to treat people who are related to Sharon this way? And just the horror of it um, is almost beyond description. Um, and I think that once a person of European descent really connects with this history, there's nothing you can do but feel the horror of it and to want to make things right um, to the degree possible, you know, to try and repair um, the deep woundedness that continues to rest at the base of our society and that's in in virtually anything we want to measure in this country from access to health care to wealth to life expectancy to the criminal justice system to education housing jobs you name it it's an advantage to look like me and a disadvantage to look like Sharon and that's just not right so what what it just keeps coming back to what can we do to make a difference and I look at the past few years uh, in this country politically and the divisiveness that that has been used and I'll just name this um in particular by the Republican party um beginning back in 
when Nixon was running for office in the 60s, the Southern strategy, it just, you know, capitalizes on racism to keep um, disenfranchised white people and um, oppress black people divided from each other and keeping the powerful people in power, which typically are people who look like me, white, mm. male, able-bodied, Christian, heterosexual people. Um, and I, I look at the past few years in particular, and I'm just looking at coming to the table as an example. Um, prior to the last presidential election, I think we had 10 local affiliate groups and maybe five to 600 members. We now yes. have 5,000 members and 42 local affiliate groups in 16 states and more coming on all the time. Um, mm -hmm. the, the interest in issues of race has grown dramatically as we've seen the growth in right-wing white supremacists um, you know, supported by evangelical Christian groups, not all evangelicals, not all Christians, and that, I don't want to paint a completely broad brush, but, oh my goodness, when you look at what, um, where the support is coming from, um, it's, it's, I think it's perfectly reasonable to look at um, our politics and say, right now, the Republican Party under this president is taking advantage of racist dog whistle language and actions um, that continue to support white supremacy, continue to support the kind of harms that have been taking place for centuries in this country. Um, mm -hmm. So... I, I recognize that the words I'm using may feel quite controversial to some, um, but I, I just honestly believe that it's a statement of fact that, that um, this is where our country has devolved to because of people wanting to retain power and control and financial advantage and um, mm -hmm. so how do we how do we undo that and i think that's the yeah. real question is what does healing look like and um, yeah so I, I i really believe that's the key question and that's the key work is figure out what yes. healing looks like and then take steps in that direction Yes, I th I think that um, I I, th I think that that is the work. Um, I do not believe that that the current administration somehow uh, uh, created this thing. I think it gave it permission to surface uh, and and to expose itself. Um, yeah. And um, but it was all it, it has always been there, and I think that that is important for people to know this was not invented by the occupant of the White House. Well, um, in fact, I would, I would say that, that the history, you look at the long history, this is just a natural outcome 
of where we've been headed for hundreds of years. This is not a shouldn't come as a huge surprise. And no, this particular president did not advance racism. Um, but the reality is, I think that we can actually express some gratitude because. He doesn't hide it the way so many people have hidden it in the past. He's right out right. front with it. Um, Absolutely. And the consequence of that is that there's a whole lot of people of European descent who may have been in denial about the existence of racism embedded in our systems and structures in this country who are now waking up to the fact that that's simply not true. That, that yes. the reality is that racism and white supremacy are at the core of the United States system. And so I think that we can express gratitude to this administration for that, gratitude to the uh, Republican Party who are supporting, those in the Republican Party who are supporting him, um, because it, it shines a light on the wound, and we cannot heal the wounds without understanding the cause of those wounds. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I believe that is true. <clears throat> I do believe that is true. And and so you had mentioned before, and I, I just want to sort of revisit that. In our conversation uh, a couple of weeks ago, you had mentioned that uh, you described this as the perfect, perfect storm, uh, meaning the, the, the current administration – uh, the pandemic that we are dealing with, and also Black Lives Matter. So what I want to do is take just a second to uh, pose that to Sharon and see if you agree with Tom's assessment of this being the perfect storm. Yeah, I do, because I think the combination of all of these things happening at one time, it's like our lives are in total flux. And it is an opportunity to reflect and to, you know, you're on lockdown. You know, what are you going to mm -hmm. do in your house? People are reading. People are watching the news. People are paying attention to what's happening around them because they can't go out and participate in the society now. So mm -hmm. I think that those voices are being heard more loudly. I am particularly impressed that people who are, protesting, Black Lives Matter, um, police brutality. These are not just black people. It's everybody. You look at some right. of these protests, and there are very few black people, actually. So obviously, yes. a whole bunch of white people are waking up, too. Exactly. So, yes, I exactly. think very much, it is very much a moment that can produce truly revolutionary change. Yes, and that's really I agree. what I would like to see be the end result. Well, that, you know, I'm, I'm with you on that. And we're going to take a brief pause at this time, and we're going to come back here in just a second. So you're listening to Bill Myers Inspires right here on the Inspired Choices Network with Tom DeWolf and Sharon Leslie Morgan, the writers, co-authors of Gather at the Table. We'll be back in just one moment. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? 
Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email become a host at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires here on the Inspired Choices Network. We're here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for joining us. And now, let's get back to the conversation. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to today's program. Uh, again, we're taking a deep dive into the topic of racism, and we have a marvelous dialogue going on at this time with Thomas Norman DeWolf and Sharon Leslie Morgan. Uh, right before the break, we were starting to talk about this being the perfect storm, and, and Sharon, you were sort of elaborating on that. So I want to resume that with you at this point and uh and 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 also ask uh, where do we go at this time where do we go from here we we talked about the idea that there is so much um uh, uh that we are confronted with the media we're confronted with the issues because we're in a pandemic we can't go outside we are absorbing all this through the media there is tremendous interest there are lots of white people joining force and are participating in the Black Lives Matter movement, but also, Tom, you had just mentioned that your membership, as it relates to uh, coming to the table, has just skyrocketed during this very same time. Yes. It has yeah. been an amazing amount of growth. I've also had the same experience with our black ancestry. Our focus is uh -huh. purely on genealogy, but I've also had an explosion. I have 35,000 people on Facebook now, and we started off with wow. hundreds. So it wow. is amazing because I've been talking a lot about how genealogy is a tool for healing by finding the past, mm. finding the truth of the past, and being able to really confront that historical harm and use it as something to strengthen you rather than something that debilitates you. So I think that that's happening with my group. It's happening with coming to the table. It's happening with other things that I'm involved in. So I really do think that there is an opportunity here for change to happen and I just don't want it to subside. I really want it to carry on. It is mm -hmm. multiracial, multigenerational. It is everybody is protesting. Everybody is seeing. Every day you're seeing a notice of how somebody has been abused, killed, or beaten, hurt by police. And I yes. do not believe all police are bad. But there's right. just too much. It's in your face every day. And if you can't see it at this point, you are never going to see it. 
And when you see it this much, you must, as a human being, be compelled to do something about it. Yes. Yes. So so what types of efforts are, are going on right now, uh, uh, Tom, with regards to coming to the table? Uh, because it, it seems like there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of dialogue around this and a lot of interest, as Sharon mentioned with, you know, our black uh, ancestry. Yeah, there's a lot of interest. So how is how is this uh, shaping up? Uh, you had mentioned to me before when we when we did our interview a couple of weeks ago uh, about the spike in the growth of interest and in, in the membership. But you also had shared with me that there were, what is it, uh, 41 chapters, if I'm not mistaken, of coming to the table around the country? Correct. Um, there's, there's so much going on. I would encourage your listeners to go to comingtothetable.org and become mm-hmm. a member. Um we have a monthly newsletter that goes out with all kinds of links and resources. We have monthly um, guided meditations led by our mindfulness working group using mindful meditation as a racial healing tool. We have monthly learning sessions um, that are usually about 90 minutes or so in length on various topics from how to be a good ally to understanding trauma um, and mm-hmm. being resilient in the face of trauma, um, we've got our, we've got one coming up next weekend, um, and and so it's there's we've got a variety of working groups. Um, the writers working group um, ended up writing a book with I don't know two dozen different. Authors connected with coming to the table called Slavery's Descendant. Um, about a dozen of us participated in, in writing the little book of racial healing. Um, so there's, there's just a lot of opportunity, and the local groups has become really the central focus of coming to the table, a place where people in their communities uh, can get together and dive deep into these issues of, of understanding history of uh, and acknowledging it all, of building the relationships that are authentic and accountable, uh, working towards healing by any means necessary, and then taking yeah. the actions to undo the systems of oppression. So the, the ways that people are doing that continue to expand and grow, but the local groups in particular are the place where people within their own communities can do this work. Now, currently, because of the pandemic, they're all meeting online with Zoom or what have you. And um, So you've got people in Albuquerque that are meeting with people in Virginia. <laughs> I mean, it's, wow. It's, um, it's, really, it's really quite something, expanding that table and imagining that table in, um, in new ways. So it's, yes. it's been challenging. I mean, we've added 12, 1,300 new members since the pandemic began. We've added almost 900 just since the murder of George Floyd. Um, well, I would like so, to I would like to share that that number. I 
I, I am glad to be a part of that number. As I told you before, that I was going to join after our conversation, and I did. And further, yes, you when did. we spoke, you I, and I did do the thing. So, and and I'm proud to do that. And I see, even in my community of Indianapolis, Indiana, an opportunity to perhaps start a coming to the table. Uh, local group here, and I'm in the process of massaging that as we spoke before, and and I'm very proud of that, and and I I see that being something that will come to pass here in Indianapolis, and so I encourage anyone who is touched by this topic and and what is going on in your community to take action and uh, look into both our our ancestry our black ancestry, look into these organizations, please, and and do something. Uh, it would be wonderful for you to uh, join and, and look into the uh, amazing resources that these organizations and the amazing work, because it, it, this work requires all of us to, to, to step in. This, this is, again, uh, the long walk, right? This is a long well, walk. Well, I want to really highlight two of the words that you just said that really jumped out at me, and that is do something. Um, this is, a, you know, always, if we're going to make any changes in our lives and our world, that requires us to do something. And, and so yeah. spending the time learning, talking, changing, growing, just do something that helps lead us towards building you know, that better world that we all know is possible. Um, mm. But it's it's going to take all of us working together, and that's that's the whole point of what Sharon and I embarked upon together was to do yes. something together. And what coming to the table stands for is people together doing something um, to make a positive change. Yeah, that's the o that's the only way it can happen. That's the only way it can happen. Yeah. So, Sharon, yes, well, your thoughts, your thoughts on the matter, my dear. I agree with Tom. I mean, do something. The time mm -hmm. is over for just sitting there and being a witness. It is obvious mm -hmm. that if we don't take action to correct the things that are wrong in our society that their things will never change. As you look at the politics of it, it's obvious. They're going to get worse and worse and worse. So you have to stand mm -hmm. up and you have to admit, take a position and you have to do something to create, be the change that you want to see in the world. And they can be very small things that you do. It's not like you have to you know, go out and form a movement. But there are small things that you can do in your daily life, like think about how you talk to other people. Think about the people that you have in your your in your universe, your environment. Think about what you're saying to your children. You know, think about the books that they are reading, that you are reading. And, you know, and do something, however small, in order to make a change. We describe this in our book as being ripples on a pond. So everything that you do makes a ripple, and it expands outward 
so that it, it affects you, it affects your family, it affects your community, it affects the world. So one person really can make a difference. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it has been a joy sharing this time with the both of you, and you are truly an inspiration to me and hopefully an inspiration to others. I would like to end this here uh, program today. I would like to revisit the words of Nelson Mandela in Long Walk to Freedom. It's another quote, and I think it helps sort of wrap this conversation up nicely. I quote, I knew as well as I knew anything that the oppressor must be liberated just as surely as the oppressed. A man who takes away another man's freedom is a prisoner of hatred. He is locked behind the bars of prejudice and narrow-mindedness. I am not truly free if I am taking away someone else's freedom, just as surely as I am not free when my freedom is taken from me. The oppressed and the oppressor alike are robbed of their humanity. You know, as I was sharing with you earlier, these words and, and the whole idea of, of uh, Nelson Mandela's walk, again, it resonated so strongly in anticipation for this dialogue today. And just as you were saying, the idea of doing something here is a tremendous model, you know, and a human being who did these very things within the scope of our lifetime, and it is uh, it transformed a nation. And I believe mm -hmm. that we have that same capacity to transform not only the nation, but to transform the world and to create the world that we want to live in. One, a world that includes you and me, just the same. So, again, it's been my pleasure. You've been listening to Bill Myers Inspires right here on the Inspired Choices Network with my guests today, Thomas Norman DeWolf and Sharon Leslie Morgan. I encourage everyone to take a look into the book that they co-wrote together called Gather at the Table. I also would invite you to take a uh, to go on to your website and log in to comingtothetable.org and also take a peek at ourblackancestry.com. They are doing amazing work. Thank you, the both of you, for being here with me today, and we'll see you here next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for spending your afternoon right here with us at Bill Myers Inspires. Remember, we're here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Inspired Choices Network. Remember to take time this week to take a breath and look within yourself and figure out how you can make a positive difference in this world. Spread the word, and we'll see you here next Friday.